Amen. All right. Thankful for you too, brother. Praise God. Praise God. That's one of the things I, I, I've... That's another thing that I did on vacation as I was working on uh, uh, what we're going to be covering and teaching at youth camp. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't know the whole, all of it yet. I, I think I've got most all of it. But, um, but we're going to be talking about worship and what worship really is and, and, and thankfulness. And so anyway, Father's good to us. Amen? Amen. All right. Hebrews uh, chapter 4. And um, I've really probably once again tried to bite off more than we all have time to chew tonight, but I want us to begin in the verses towards the end of this chapter, and then we're going to maybe back up a little bit and um, look at these things within the context um, that Father has given them to us. Amen. A lot of times when we study the scriptures, we may study one verse at a time or a few verses at a time, um, maybe a chapter at a time. And, and, and when we do that, I'm not saying that's a wrong approach, but, but sometimes when we do that, we miss the, 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 the bigger comprehensive message that Father is wanting uh, to speak into our lives. And so um, let's begin here at verse number 14. Hebrews 4 and 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, not just a high priest, but a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Well, when we see that we have a great high priest, we understand that the earthly position of high priest, much like the earthly position of, of king over God's people, much like the earthly position of prophet over God's people, Different people would come into that office and then exit that office and another would take their place. And if you understand like the history of the kings of Israel, there were times when they would have a really good king and then there would be times when they didn't have a really good king. They would have a king that did evil in the sight of God. And we can see this in our nation where, you know, we, we may have a really good president that does a really good job or a really good governor or mayor or what have you, and then maybe one that's not so much. You follow what I'm saying? So these folks who were accustomed to that earthly high priest, priest situation, it wasn't just that he was the high priest, Jesus became our high priest, but that he is a great, we could even say the greatest, high priest. And what characterized a high priest, if we were to keep on reading, and we got too much on the table already tonight as far as what I've got in front of me, we would see that the priests were chosen from among men so that they would know what it was like to be a human being, so that they could then sympathize 
with what it was that people were going through. This is why Jesus is our great high priest. It's because He became a man and He dwelt among us. He became like us, was tempted like one of us in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. This is why the Bible says He knows what it's like to be you and He knows what it's like to go through the things that you have been through, are going through, and will go through in the future. Amen. Now, we also see in this passage some instructions for you and me. The first thing is, he says, that we need to see. And I know that when uh, Pastor Matt preached uh, on that Sunday morning when I was gone on vacation, that he talked about considering Jesus and focusing on Jesus and, and taking into account who Jesus is and what He has done. And this is the same point that's being made here once again. That we need to understand that we're not alone. We need to understand that we have a representative, an advocate who loves us dearly, representing us in heaven. But it's not just that He's in heaven. It says that He's passed through the heavens. And, and there's a big difference, right? In other words, before Jesus ever came to the earth, He was Jesus the Son of God in heaven. And He loved you as much then as He ever has or ever will. The difference is He left that throne came from the third heaven through the first heaven to planet earth, lived here, died here, was raised from the dead here, and then passed back through those heavens, now as one who knows what it's like to be you, representing you in heaven. Amen. So our instructions in light of who Jesus is and what He has done for us is that we need to hold fast our confession. Our confession. Now, again, there's a lot here and there's a lot of components, there's a lot of pieces to this that it's just simply going to take some time for us to build this. It's going to take some time for us to, to develop this and put all these things together. I want to point out to you tonight that among other things talked about in these chapters is that we find in verse 12 one of the most beautiful passages in all the Word of God concerning the Word of God. And it says this, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, this was one of the earliest verses that I memorized. I memorized this verse before I was a teenager. It just happened to be in a pack of memory verse cards that, that I bought, right? So it's one of those verses that I memorized. And for those of you who've been through discipleship class, you know that we uh, emphasize this verse throughout because of its rich connections to many different teachings within the Bible in general and within the discipleship process in particular. But for years... I've never really considered this verse. It's almost as if this verse was just tucked in the midst of a whole bunch of other verses, but doesn't connect to them. But that would be a wrong assumption. Amen. Because ultimately what he's talking about here is entering into the rest that is available to us by faith. Now, before... I go much further down that path. Let's go back to the verses that we have on the screen. Because when he says, let us hold fast our confession, he's talking about you and me 
using the same methods that Jesus used to make hard and even impossible things not just possible, but easy. Let me, let me get ahead of myself, but I just want to go ahead and put this out there tonight because it's hot off the press. It's, it's something the Holy Spirit just, just told me recently. Okay, And that is, faith is not just for making the impossible possible, but the same faith that will make the impossible possible will make things that are hard easy. See, we, we think in terms of believing God and using faith to take things that are impossible and make the impossible possible. The, the thing that would be considered a miracle, I'm going to use faith to believe God for miracles. Amen, absolutely. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, But faith is not just for believing God for the impossible. Faith is for every area of your life. And if you'll learn how to do life by faith, Faith will take things that were previously very challenging, very difficult, very frustrating, amen, and make those things easy, make those things enjoyable, make those things uh, something that you actually look forward to instead of dread. That's the power of faith operating in our lives. Amen. I got the right bunch tonight. I got the right message tonight. So if I got the right bunch, the right message, we, we're in good shape, all right? So, for instance, you know, Faith can revolutionize raising children. Faith can revolutionize your marriage. Faith, you know, people like, you know, I hate, I hate balancing my checkbook, Pastor Mark. I can't stand having to pay bills. Can't, listen, faith will make paying bills enjoyable. You say, when, when could paying a bill ever be enjoyable, Pastor Mark, when you've got more than enough money to pay it? Right? When you got enough money, you can just put them on auto draft. Just let them take that power bill out anytime they want to take it out. Are you hearing me? So that's faith. That's faith. Something that, that is challenging, difficult, something you don't enjoy doing, faith can make it enjoyable. Not just make the impossible possible, but make the difficult doable and enjoyable. Amen. So he's saying, let us hold fast our confession. There are things in the Scripture, like for instance, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, and that God the Father has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's not some like magic formula or, or some kind of What's communicated in believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, Jesus is the Son of God and that God has raised Him from the dead, that's just an abbreviated or condensed way of communicating what it is that Jesus did for you to make it possible for you to be saved. Are you following what I'm saying here? So when He mentions here holding fast your confession, holding fast our confession, what is implied here is the faith process. What is implied here is taking the Word of God into your heart, speaking the Word of God out of your mouth, and the Word of God producing results in your life. That's what's being communicated here in a few words. 
Now you say, well, why, if that's true, Pastor Mark, why is it communicated like that in a few words? Well, if every time faith or something to do with faith is mentioned in the Bible, we have to go into an absolute thorough explanation of what it really means. You're going to need wheels for every copy of the Bible. It's, it's going to be six foot thick. So there, there are, are words that, that connect other verses you know, to you know, the thing that you're looking at there that help develop and reveal the full picture. Are you following what I'm saying here? So when he says to you and me that we need to hold fast our confession, he's talking about the Word of God coming into your heart activating the faith in you that Father has given to you, and then you acting on that, aligning your thoughts, words, and actions with that Word, with His Word. That's faith, right? And then holding that position until you see it manifest, come to pass in your life. Now we know that the enemy is going to test, not you, he's going to test your faith. The testing or the trying of your faith, the Bible says, will do one of two things. It'll either cause you to back off, no longer hold on to, no longer hold fast to. You're uh, releasing, activating and releasing faith in your life. Or if you hold on to it, it's only going to create something called a commodity in your life called endurance. And the Bible says when endurance has, has done its work, you come out the other side complete perfect, entire, lacking nothing in your life. Amen. And that's, of course, the sweet spot of life. That's where we all want to be. That's entering into the rest. That's entering into what somebody else worked really hard for you to be able to enjoy. So he's saying, hold fast our confession. He's talking about the Word of God, the power that's in God's Word. Turn with me. Sweet Jesus. Isaiah 55, turn there with me rather quickly. Rather quickly, amen. I'm not going to fully develop this, but I'm just going to put it up there. Isaiah 55. There it is. I'll put it up on the screen. That'll make it even quicker. This is speaking of the Word of God. It says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He just gave us an example from nature. Precipitation comes from a higher place. It falls down to the earth. It waters the earth. What, when it waters the earth, what happens? Plants take that water, that precipitation, that moisture into themselves, and they release that moisture back into the atmosphere. And it is that process of taking it in and releasing it back that causes the plant not only to grow, but it causes it to bring forth its precious fruit. He says in verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It, my word, shall not return to me void. It, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, again, 
You say, well, Pastor Mark, you're making that connection. You don't think God knew this verse was in the Bible when He inspired the verses in Hebrews 4? When he, when he talked about it in verse 12, that His Word's living and powerful. Father knew what Isaiah 55 contained, the truth that it revealed. And so when He's talking about our confession, now what we see here, listen to me please, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. The example that we were given was the precipitation comes, is taken in by plants, and is returned. In other words, there is a living organism that receives the precipitation and returns it back. And it's the receiving and the returning that causes the increase, that causes the bringing forth, that causes the production, the bringing forth, the budding, and the fruitfulness. Yes? So when he says that his word will not return back to him void, what is implied here is that his word comes down to you, you take his word into yourself, and then you return it back to him by confessing it. That is activating and releasing the faith. Romans 12.3 says God's given to every person the measure of faith. So when you hear the Word of God, it awakens, it arouses faith within you. When that Word of God, it's like seed in, a, in, in soil. The Word of God in the soil of your heart. You receive that, then you begin to confess that Word out of your mouth. The Bible says that the very thing that Father God sent the Word to you to produce in your life in the first place will be produced, it will accomplish, it will prosper when His Word is returned back to Him. This is, again, what is, what is being communicated in this idea of hold fast your confession. You've released the power that resides within the Word of God. The creative power that resides within the Word of God. The living and powerful Word of God has come into you and has been released from you by faith. And Satan knows that if he don't do something to interrupt it, the incorruptible seed of God's Word will produce every single time the very thing. It will accomplish every single time the very thing. It will prosper every single time in the very thing that Father God gave that Word to you originally to produce and accomplish in your life. Amen. So, let's go back to uh, Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, I know we've been over this a few times already. I want to go over it again. Right? When we talk about sin, I think most of us, you know, have the idea of some type of disobedience, some type of behavior or practice that is displeasing to God. Telling a lie or committing some other kind, kind of, 
of action that would be breaking one of His commandments. Now, I'm not saying that that is not sin, but if that's the only understanding we have of sin, we don't have a broad enough understanding. Because the Bible says that whatever is not of faith is sin. Now, the definition of sin from the Greek transliteration is the word hamartia. H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. I've got it somewhere, but I don't want to take the time to find it and put it on the screen. All right? It's the word hamartia, and it means to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. That's the definition of sin. See, we look at sin as an action. We look at sin for the face value. We look at sin and we say, well, you know, I may be doing something wrong, but it's not as bad as that guy over there is doing. In other words, we compare sin. We, 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 we grade sin. We, we consider degrees of sin. So let's go back to, if we were to try to define what sin is, we may say it's some action that is displeasing to God. But do you realize the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God? Faith is what pleases Him. Are you hearing me? That's Hebrews eleven six. Faith is what pleases God. So we said this, that any step we take outside of faith is a step towards an inferior life. I've been listening to um, Brother Keith Moore teach on prosperity. And, um, and he made a point. It, it, I mean, I think we, we all under, understand this. I've just never heard it said quite this way. And, and that is that our Heavenly Father takes pleasure in our prosperity. And he said that if, if our Heavenly Father took pleasure in our poverty, he would be out of step. He would be out of step with every parent that's ever lived. Because there's no parent who takes pleasure in their children being broke. There's no parent that's like, are you understanding? Listen, un unless, you're, unless you're prepared for about 15 minutes of bragging, don't ask my dad about one of his grandkids. Because he's going to tell you about their degrees. He's going to tell you about their jobs. He's going to, are you understanding what I'm saying? It, in other words, to see his children and his grandchildren prosper is one of the greatest joys of his life. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his offspring. And what kind of man would he be if he wished we were all broke, if he wished we would all lose our jobs, if he wished we would all have our cars repossessed, if he wished we would all have our homes foreclosed on? It's just the opposite, right? Your heavenly Father wants you to prosper. 
And He knows that the only way you are ever going to be able to prosper, the way He created you to prosper, is if you learn how to live by faith. That's why it's impossible to please Him without faith. What pleases Him? What pleases Him is... you. I know people that are against this kind of teaching. You know, they're like, well, it pleases Him when we obey Him, Pastor Mark. Absolutely. But see, if that's your only understanding of God, that's pretty cold and calculated. That He just created you so that you would obey Him. Let me say it another way. Let's go back to it. Did it please my parents when me and Matt and Meredith obeyed them? Sure it did. But you don't ever hear him run into somebody he hadn't seen in a long time and say, man, let me just tell you how obedient my sons were when they were in their teenage years. He don't, ever, he don't talk about that. He talks about Matt almost running UAB hospital and, and college on the engineering and maintenance and all. You follow what I'm saying? My dad was an old man. My, my son, you know, he... He made curfew about 89% of the time. I was so proud of him. He doesn't talk about obedience. That's not what pleases him. What pleases him is that we have learned wisdom. We've learned that conduct in life affects condition, quality of life. But it's never been about conduct, and it's never been... It's never been about that for my parents, and it's never been about that for God. It's because what we do affects our quality of life. They want us to do good so we can have good. They want us to be good so we can experience good. Are you following what I'm saying here? And, and that heart, that true heart of a parent, it came from the original parent. It came from our Heavenly Father. Yes, He wants us to be good because He wants you to have good. I heard Jake's cousin speak at his dad's funeral, Keith Lindsay's funeral. And he said something about his dad and there's a lot of things said that day that, that stuck with me. And one of the things he said, he said, my dad expected a lot out of us not because he wanted more from us, but because he wanted more for us. He wants more for you. See, there's a lot of folks, all they think is, man, God's just, God just wanting more from me, more from me, and enough's never enough. No, 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 see, he wants more from you because he wants more for you. That's why he's given us the instructions and the commandments that He's given to us. Because His ways will lead to prosperity. Provision, protection, peace. All of the above. Amen? Now, let me, let me try to land this plane, alright? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. There's a verse coming in the fifth chapter, and we, we're not even through with the third and fourth chapter yet, but there's a verse coming in the fifth chapter 
that's right up there with one of the most amazing verses that you will find in all the Word of God. And it says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. What? Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, we know he was never disobedient. But again, this is just quadrupling down, drilling down deeper and deeper and deeper into what the Bible very clearly and plainly says to us, and that is that Jesus became a man in every way so that he could understand what it's like to be you in every way. Do you realize that? I'm getting kind of spread thin here. Let me, let me finish, but just hear me, please. I'm coming back to this word weaknesses. I'm going to finish right here. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. When he was Jesus, the eternal Son of God, on the throne before he ever came to this earth through the womb of the Virgin Mary, he had no concept of a weakness. No, No idea what it was like to experience a weakness of any kind. He is all-powerful. Are you, are you following me? He, he, God, the characteristics of God. We know that He is everywhere present. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. When He emptied Himself of everything that made Him the eternal, true, and living God, Jesus, the true, eternal, living God, he, the Bible says He emptied Himself of everything that made Him God and came to this earth as a man. Now, where is he now? He's back, right? He's passed through the heavens and he's there. What's different? His 33 years on this planet introduced him to weakness. He never sinned, but he experienced weakness. Think about it. He experienced it. As the eternal Son of God, He could be everywhere at the same time. As Jesus, the God-man, the Son of David, He could be in one place at one time. I'm giving you, I'm pausing for a minute for you to kind of begin to see what we're saying here. How did, boy, I'll just jump two weeks ahead. How did Jesus manage those weaknesses. One of the things that he did when he, when he couldn't be everywhere at the same time, the Bible says he would send his word. <laughs> right? Remember what the, Jesus said, okay. I don't know how far the centurion's house was, but in those days it wasn't like you jumped on the back of a motorcycle or jumped, you know. I mean, it was wherever you went, you, you hoofed it or you got on a donkey or something. I mean... It was dirty, it was, it was hard, it was hot, it was, you know. And Jesus is like, well, if he's sick and he's about to die, I'll go. And the guy says, no, there's no need to go, just send your word. Just speak the word only. In other words, that was, that, I'm trying to develop too many things tonight, but he's, he compensated for his inability to be everywhere at the same time by sending his word. Setting an example for you and me. All right, let me finish. I'm closing this up. Weakness. 
You and I were created in the image and likeness of God. Yes? We were created to know what He knows, to feel what He feels. We were created for greatness. We were not created to be dominated. We were created for dominion. Your very soul was hardwired to rule and reign in life. That's why when we are in a position where we're trapped in some condition that we can't get out of, we are most miserable. We talked about it Sunday. That's why men showed up at the Revolutionary War barefooted in the wintertime with a hatchet to fight the most powerful army on planet earth. It's because they were not in control of their lives. A king on a throne half a world away was dictating to them how they were to live their lives and they were not created. We were not created to live that way, my brothers and my sisters. I believe Thomas Jefferson was divinely inspired by God when he said Men, mankind was created by God with certain inalienable rights. These rights don't come from the state. They don't come from an earthly government. They come from our Creator. That is hardwired into us. People can reject the prosperity teaching in the Bible all they want to. But the reality of it is this, we were not created for poverty. Poverty is a curse. It always has been. It always will be. One of the things that Keith Moore said in, in one of his sermons on prosperity, he said, can you imagine bringing David, Solomon, Abraham uh, back from heaven and somebody on this earth trying to convince them that it's not God's will for His children to prosper? Do you think you could ever talk Abraham into believing that God does not desire his children to prosper? Do you think you could ever talk King David, King Solomon into, into accepting that it's somehow God's desire for his children to be broke and impoverished? It's a part of the curse. And anybody who, who, who preaches and teaches against God's desire for, for, for people to prosper, again, they're not just going against what the Bible teaches. They're going against their own lives, their own souls. We were, we were designed to rule and reign. We were designed to be wealthy. We were designed to have authority. And we are a most miserable bunch when we are not operating in the way that God created and designed us to operate. So when he's talking about our weakness, one of the ways, one of the ways to understand that word weakness is an inability to get the results that you were created to have. An inability to get the results that you were created to have. Stand with me tonight. All of this that we've talked about tonight, it's a piece of the puzzle that connects with some of these things we've been talking about in these other earlier in the chapter. Rest. Rest. Amen? Are you getting a thing out of this? Father, we love you. Lord, your word is so rich, it's so vast, and 
Lord, there's just such a passion and just, it's just burning inside of me, Father. Lord, I want to equip as many of your children with these truths as I can possibly equip with them, Father. I want your people to know and hear and understand. Lord, not just us here, this family of faith here at Heritage, Father. It, I believe that if you could stand among us tonight, that these would be uh, some of the things that you would talk about. It's that important. So many times, Father, we look at it from the perspective of what it means to us without ever considering, Father, what it means to you. What it means to you. And so, Jesus, we just worship you tonight because you understand what it's like to be in a physical, fleshly body and to experience human weakness. And yet, you never a single time sinned, meaning you never a single time failed to address the human weakness you experienced apart from faith. And so I thank you, Father, tonight for his example. Help us to learn from it more and more in the coming days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for um, your faithfulness.